Good morning, church. Let me reintroduce myself. <laughs> hey, gentle. Um, name is Brandon, lead pastor here at Austin Hills Church. It's been a few weeks since I've been back, but thank you so much for praying for us. We had a phenomenal time in Israel. Um, you're going to hear stories throughout these sermons because a lot of things that I'm going to be sharing with us, man, the Lord did some things in my heart while we were in Israel, so it was great. Um, you know, thank you to those who reached out to my wife. You know who you are. 15 days was a long time to be away from your lovely bride. Um, so I am thrilled. I am like super, super thrilled to be back. It's one of those things where like if I'm not in the pulpit for a while, it just sort of builds up. And so, it, you know, it might just all kind of come out all in one morning, but it should probably be spread out over multiple mornings. But you're here, so you're going to get it all this morning. Um, I'm really excited for this series that we're calling Prayers from the Front. Line And now we've been doing this where January and August is kind of like 21 days of prayer. We're just going to kind of focus in and lean into prayer specifically. I love these seasons, these seasons um, selfishly because I don't know about you, but like I don't naturally drift into praying. Right? Like, I don't naturally drift into righteousness and to doing the right things. Like, it's easier to naturally drift into selfishness. And so I love these things because it allows us to kind of get a little bit more intentional, lean in a little bit more, draw near to God intentionally. And so during this season of 21 days of prayer, instead of coming together as a church body on a Wednesday or whatever, because we know that school's starting up and people are trying to get in their last round of vacations and all that kind of stuff, that we wanted to do something very specific, as Pastor Nima Wright talked about. This isn't just a simple little way of trying to go, hey, let's just get some guests to come into this church. This is an opportunity really for you to learn how to pray in the Spirit. Okay, and I'm going to talk about that this morning. This is an opportunity for you to go, Lord, who is it? Who is it? Who do you want me to be fighting for? Who do you want me to be praying for? Is it your neighbor? Is it your coworker? Is it a relative? Shoot, they don't even have to like live in Austin. You don't even have to invite them necessarily to here, right? We want you to be interceding on behalf of someone who is either far from the Father or drifted away from the faith, whatever it is, and just commit to this season to praying for that person. And this card is small enough that you can put it on your mirror, you can take it with you in your car. If you're tech savvy, you can take a picture and put it on your phone. We want this to be upfront and personal, so that way you're praying for that person, okay? And on the back side of the card, there's just four things that we're asking everybody in the church to commit to praying for. And one of them is commit to pray for your guests. We are designing a series in September. It's a four-week series that we're calling Rethink Religion. And the whole idea is to be thinking through those people who maybe aren't necessarily part of a church, who haven't been in church for a while, we want to create a series for them to hear the gospel message clearly. Okay, so pray for that. Pray for the church, for all the other guests. Pray for the pastors and pray for the church. And if you want, we still pray every Tuesday as a staff at 12, which is great because some of the folks from the church are joining us on that. If you have time or if you want to give up a, you know, a lunch break, come. We're up in the upper room right there from 12 to 1230 praying for this church and praying for the city. So I'm really pumped for this, okay? All right, so let's stand and let's read Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And as I read this, I want you to hear these words 
clearly. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Father, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. We ask that you would show us your heart, Lord, we ask that you would show us your favor and your goodness and your grace this morning. Lord, I'm asking that your spirit would stir in us exactly what it is that we need to hear this morning. Father, I continue to pray for us as a church that we would be a praying church. That we would understand that prayer is the most important thing we can do. That prayer is the ministry. And Lord, I ask that that message comes out loud and clear this morning through your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can take a, uh, a seat. Now, up north, during the winter seasons, like right now, like down here in the south, this is like the cruel end of summer where you're like, oh my goodness, could the temperature change? It could snap. But listen, folks, it's, it's three months, okay? Like, like, I'm already noticing that Texans complain about the heat. I'm like, come on, you chose to live here. It's like, you know, three months, okay? Three months of heat is not bad. Up north, we have to deal with six months of cold, okay? I would trade three months of heat for six months of cold. And so, like, with the cold, there's not a lot of things that you can actually do outside. At least that was my excuse. I don't like being cold, so I didn't get into downhill skiing and snowboarding and ice fishing. Ice fishing, really. That's the stupidest thing in the world. It, it really is. Let's sit on a block of ice Drill a little hole in a shanty and drink beer all day. Like it's, it's, it's a horrible thing. Anywho, we're not here talking about that. So we had to adjust to certain things. And so our kids, we had to help our kids adjust through the winter season. And up in Minnesota, one of the things that you have to be part of in order to survive the winter is you got to know how to ice skate, okay? I'm not real graceful on the ice, so I never really ice skated. And so we tried to get our kids to do ice skating. And, you know, um, Addie was too little to do it, but we have our Cora, our oldest. Um, she's a ballerina, so she just naturally took to figure skating. It was just real easy for her. And my son, he tried to put on ice skates, and it just, it was not pretty. He just kept falling and, you know, over and over and over. And so one of the things that we ended up doing every single year is we built a a little ice rink in our backyard. You just get a couple two-by-twelve stacked up on each other, put a tarp, put water in it, and you got an ice rink. Like, that was it. And so my son, over time, he wanted to learn to play hockey because some of his friends were playing hockey. And so what was fascinating was when he went to his first hockey practice and he got himself all geared up, right? Like he immediately looked like a different boy because like my son at that point was real skinny, but now he's like real stocky. And he gets on the ice and he's super timid at first, like, you know, Dennis. And then he takes a fall and he just like was astonished that it didn't hurt. And he got up and he just looked at us and smiled. And then he just went crazy. 
It was phenomenal because he was learning the importance of the pad and the gear and the hockey armor because it didn't hurt. And this provided hours of parental entertainment. We would sit on the stands and just enjoy this. He would just like go crazy. He didn't know how to stop. And he would just fly into the wall and get up and laugh. He would go up in the stands. You're like, you know, we're like, this is great, you know. So I took him to his first NHL game. We went to the Minnesota Wild and we had um, ringside ticket so we were able to sit right by the glass and my son was so enamored like have you ever been to a professional hockey game it is awesome okay I mean these guys are like skating 30 some miles an hour as projectiles and just flying into each other and my son was just like like dudes were getting checked right on the boards right in front of him and and he, so he, the next day we had this is so funny <laughs> I'm like dying because I remember seeing this. The next day we had hockey practice. And um, he got all suited up. He gets on the ice. I go up in the stands to watch. And all of a sudden out of nowhere I hear, Dad, watch! Halfway across the hockey rink. I'm watching him. And he just, just starts to go at it. And, then I, and I see in the distance about three-fourths across the rink this poor kid. He has no idea. <laughs> he has no idea what's coming. He's just doing his own thing. And I'm watching this. I'm like, is my son going for him? Like, I couldn't tell, right? He's just picking up speed and speed and speed. I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope he misses him. I hope he misses him. My son just, boom, just nails this kid. And this kid goes flying. And my son goes down. He gets up. He's like, wasn't that awesome, Dad? And I'm like trying to not laugh, right? Like, there's this parental embarrassment. But at the same time, there's like this really sick pride, like, boy. And lo and behold, the dad, the other son's dad was right next to me, you know? And then my son gets back up and he picks another victim. And I was like, Brayden, no! <laughs> I share all of that because something changed in my son's mind when he put on the gear. He couldn't ice skate for the life of him, but the moment he put on the hockey gear, he understood that there was no need to be afraid of the ice. There was no need to be afraid to fall. I can use it exactly the way it is. I'm not afraid of the puck. If the puck hits me, it's going to bounce right off. If I hit a kid, it isn't going to hurt. Like he understood the importance of wearing the hockey gear. Now, I say that because we have to understand this text is meant to kind of equip us the same way. Like when Paul's writing here in Ephesians, it's the end of this beautiful letter that just portrays the magnificence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says in that first word there, he says, finally. Like this isn't a throwaway thing. This isn't like Paul saying, oh my goodness, I forgot to mention this. And by the way, do this. This is like Paul's way of saying everything we talked about, the gospel, the new life, the new creation, everything, is wrapped up in here. And when you put on this armor, when you put on the full armor of God, it ought to change your perspective. It ought to change how you see your life. It ought to change how you see your relationships. It ought to change how you see your vocation in this world. It ought to change how you see every single thing. So I want to encourage you as best as possible because some of you grew up in the church, and some of you went to Sunday school, and when you hear the armor of God, some of you immediately think to the flannel graph. Some of you are like, what's a flannel graph? You're not missing out on anything. Right? Or how many of you ever seen, like, the little Ephesians 6 soldier toy? Right? Like, you got all the pieces of the armor. Some of you are like, yeah. Like, we got to get that out of our minds for a moment. Because I want us to hear with ears that are new to this text, to understand what does it mean to live out the gospel. 
Like, what does it mean to be saturated with the gospel? What does it mean to preach the gospel to yourself? And why does this matter as it relates to prayer? Those are the things I want to talk about this morning. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I can read a familiar text like this, and also it's like the Charlie Brown teacher syndrome happens. Wah, 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 right? You're like, oh yeah, I got it. Like, in fact, I was even thinking about this on the flight to Israel. I always try to, especially international flights, try to see if I can get the exit row seating because those extra few inches are amazing, right? And so they always do that one thing. The, the, the flight attendants will come. You're like, you know, you're sitting in an exit row. And da, 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 you know, in case of emergency, do you know what you're doing? Are you capable of doing this? And it's like, how many of you have actually listened to the flight attendant safety emergencies? Right? Like, 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 actually read and study and know every single thing. The vast majority of us don't. I mean, folks, like, think about it. We're flying over the ocean, and we're just like, they're trying to give us a warning just in case it were to happen. Well, um, here, Paul's like, there's no warning. There's no just in case it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Here's your instruction manuals and how to stand. Like, what would change if you got on that flight and the flight intended said, halfway across the Atlantic, we are going to crash. And you're going to need to know this. How would that change? I'm pretty sure, I don't know about you, I would study it. In fact, I'd probably get off the, you know, but like, let's just say you can't. You would study it. You would get to know it. And this is the concept. Paul's like, listen, finally, finally be strong in the Lord. And strong in his might. Why? Church, listen. You're on the front line. You're, you are on the front line. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are on the front line. In fact, let me even just say this. There is no room in this book, in the Bible, for a passive Christian. For someone who says, I follow Jesus and I do nothing with it. There's no room for that here. The whole New Testament, everything, the gospel is always assuming that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are on the front line. You are part of the great war. And you're going to fight battles. It's not a matter of like, will it? It's a matter of when you will. And here's your instructions and how to stand firm. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his might because you are facing an enemy. You are in the war. You are on the front line where it's going to come. There are so many of us in this room that fail, and myself included, that we fail to remember this. Like when life gets hard or things don't go our way, when we fight with temptation or whatever it is, we immediately just, you know, get frustrated at God or whatever. We just kind of get a little bit passive. We think that our lives should be this cozy vacation on the beach and we should always be wearing our Snuggies and bunny slippers. When a soldier is being prepped to go to war, that soldier knows what they're entering into. They know what lies ahead of them. They know that when they get on the turf, all hell is there to meet them. And so they prepare accordingly. They don't put in their bags a, a, a blanket, a beach, and sunscreen expecting to have a vacation. 
We need to understand that about our Christian lives. We are on the front line. We are there. So I want you to ask this question. Why is Paul saying to us, wear the armor, put on the armor? Start asking yourself the question, what's coming at you? What's the opposition that Paul assumes that we're going to face? What about the church, your friends, your family, your kids? Think about those questions as I read this again. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You've you got to let that one sink in. Like, this isn't just like, oh, man, man this is kind of cool stuff in the Bible. This is like Paul's like, hey, hey, now that you understand the gospel, now that you understand the mystery and the glory of Jesus Christ, and that your life has been forever changed, you've got to understand you're on the front line now. And here's how you're going to live it out. This whole armor of God deal can be said simply this way. It is the application of the gospel. This is just another illustration. This is just another picture of Paul saying to the church, saying, this is how you live the gospel out. You put the full armor on. You have to put it all on. And he gives it in three real specific points. He tells them, be strong. This is going to be an important little point here because of the tense that Paul wrote this in. He says, be strong. So, put on the full armor of God. And then he tells them to basically to stand, right? Be strong, put on the former God, and he tells them to stand four times. Four times he tells them to stand. So that you may stand, so that you may withstand, so that you may stand, so that you may stand. In other words, it's coming. Do not retreat. Do not be surprised. Be strong. Put on the full armor of God. That's how you become strong. And you cannot stand unless you put on the whole armor of God. This is the application of the gospel. He's emphasizing something over and over and over because he wants them to know. He wants them to know and we need to know that there is an active evil force in this world and this evil force has plans for you just like Jesus has plans for you. God's plans is to prosper you, right? To give you life, to, to move you into a life of abundance and freedom. But at the same time, we have a, an enemy who has plans to completely destroy you. And his plans are very personal and very specific to you and to the church and that's why Paul's going on to say he's like listen do not be ignorant of his schemes we wrestle like these two words schemes and wrestle are very very important because it gives us clues and insight as to how the enemy comes at us the schemes of the devil it's like backhanded and deceptive 
and like almost like downplayed to the point that maybe you can't even recognize that it's happening. In fact, that's what Scripture even says. Paul says in Corinthians that the devil masquerades as an angel of light almost to like give you this free like idea like it's hard to tell. You've got to be on your guard. And this word wrestle, how many of you have ever wrestled someone? It's personal. It's up close. It's blood. It's sweat. It's grit. And Paul's like, listen, you, you, you think you're wrestling against your neighbor who doesn't mow his lawn? doesn't follow the HOA rules. You think your wrestling match is against your boss that keeps overlooking you for that promotion? You think the struggle is against your friend, your family, your mom or your dad that has done this to you or whatever it is? You think that's the wrestling match? She's like, no. Have they caused problems? Sure. But the real problem is, the real wrestling matches is with the evil, the powers and principalities which church we learned about in Colossians that Jesus ripped them and stripped them and disarmed them of their power. But we're still in a battle. We fight from victory. We don't fight to gain the victory. Yes, the war is over, but they're still defeated and they're still going to fight. C.S. Lewis makes a point here to say that Christians are oftentimes, um, they fall into one of two errors. And he writes this in the screw tape letters. And he says that we either take him altogether too seriously or we don't take him seriously enough. Right? Like, this, that's true. Like, when we start talking about spiritual warfare, like, some people can start to freak out. Like, there's some people who be like, oh my goodness, are we going to become that church? Eyes rolling back in the head, the head spinning. Are we, like, like, are we all spiritual? We'll pass out the snakes later in the service, by the way. Just... Just be patient. Joke. That was a joke. Right? Some of us, like, we think that if anything and everything goes wrong, it's because there's a demon behind every bush. If you didn't get that parking space, the devil's against you. It's like, no. You just didn't get that parking spot. And there's some of us who just completely ignore him. Who pretend he's not there. Not a factor. (laughs) I'm going to say this. Satan could care less if you recognize him or not. He he could really honestly care less if you believe in him or not. It doesn't matter to him. So I want to say something that might freak some of you out, but I want you to hear me. Okay? I want you to hear me. Every single one of you have encountered demons infrequently. How's that for a Sunday message? Every single one of you have encountered demons infrequently. It's just the problem is we we think that demons are like the Hollywood movies, right? But they're way more subtle than that. I want to read a quote that came from uh, Tony Campalo, and he says this. He's the one, Satan, he's the one appearing in movies, telling us that romantic love and sexual pleasures are the keys to fulfillment. 
He's the one behind an economic system that teaches us that money is the key to success and happiness. He's the one who sits in a psychologist's chair offering ultimate hope in life apart from God. He works in and through governments that coddle people into thinking that government help is the answer. He's the one teaching from our pulpits that life is about you, that God wants to make you rich, that hell is not for real, and that the standards of the Bible are for a different time and place. He's the one who whispers to you that is a ridiculous idea to believe in him. Do you think you've encountered a demon? Or the work of a demon? Yes. Absolutely. Jesus' ministry went into enemy-occupied territory. We're on the front lines. We just tend to downplay that to our own peril. Do you wonder why we so oftentimes fall into sin and temptation and don't live the life that's promised in here? Well, quite frankly, it's because we are not aware and standing our ground against the evil forces. We downplay them. And that's why Paul's saying, it's like, listen, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his might. He doesn't care. Listen, he doesn't care if you recognize him or not because he's going after your destruction. He's not going after fame or popularity. He's not going after that. He already knows he's done. He's just out to wound you, to destroy you, to make you question God's goodness, to put these subtle doubts in your mind. Is God good? Is God real? Martin Luther struggled with this all the time. His biggest struggle was, yes, God is good, but is he good to me? The devil just simply wants us to either doubt God in his word or neglect God in his word altogether. That is, if I were to summarize the general scheme of the enemy, it's that. To get you to doubt God in his word and to neglect him altogether. Because James says in the book of James, like, hey, here's the best tactic. You draw near to God, right? He'll draw near to you. If you resist the devil, he will flee. But the impetus there is your relationship with the Father. So the more we neglect God, the more we question God, the more we doubt his goodness and his word, man, you're leaving yourself as open prey. I'm telling you, folks, Satan and his cronies, they're really good at this. They've had a lifetime of studying human behavior. In fact, the oldest trick in the book, we can see right away in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? Did God? Like, we're not questioning God if, he's a, he, if he exists. Yeah, he exists, but did God really say? Is he really good? Is he withholding from you? You ever notice in your life that temptations and struggles just seem to come at the most coincidental times? The temptation just happened to show up at that one moment. That relationship showed up at that one moment. I mean, I'm just going to be candid with you. Before Saturday night, before I preach, it's like I feel like I'm just going through the ringer. I just feel like I'm just being accused over and over, you're not good enough, Brandon. You can't do this, Brandon. You don't know anything, Brandon. You're, you're a fraud, Brandon. Who do you think you are, Brandon, to go in front of a bunch of people and talking about Jesus, Brandon? Who do you, like, I sit there and I wrestle with it. Even all before, that's why I was like, I just got to pray. I got to be in worship. I got to get my heart right because I know these onslaughts are coming. And then he's even so sneaky enough that after I'm done preaching, I will hear these thoughts, you're amazing. 
you did good. Take those compliments. That's why if you ever say, Brandon, good job, I'm always like, praise the Lord. Because I know the temptation. I know what's coming at me. You have your own. You're in a war. You're on the front line. This is why this is important. Louis Giglio, he says this, Satan is the CEO, the CFO, and the president of a multi-trillion dollar industry that's primary target is your heart. Make no mistake, it's personal, and the enemy has plans to take you out. But folks, there's good news. We have everything we need in Jesus to stand. Stand firm and to push the enemy away. So I want to say this, and I want you to understand this. You can't escape this fight. You can't escape it. As long as you're breathing here, you're on the front line. There's no retreating. There's no bunker mentality. And I'm going to even say this. There's nothing that you can do to protect your family from the onslaught that's going to come against them. Nothing. You can prepare them to stand by teaching them to put on the full armor of God as you learn to put on the full armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You have to understand something. You can't be strong in yourself and in the strength of your own might. Like, I know you know that. Like, intellectually, I know you know that. But you got to let that one get in your heart. You cannot be strong in your own might. You cannot be strong in yourself. You by yourself, apart from Jesus, are not strong enough to stand against the schemes of the devil. You cannot do it on your own. In fact, this is one of the schemes of the devil to make you think that you're strong enough. To make you think that you can do it on your own. And they make you think that the way to overcome this is I just got to gussy it up. I, I, I got to pull it all together. I got to get strong. I got to read more. I got to pray more. I got to be a better Christian. Then I'll be able to, like, then I'll do it. No. This is written in the passive imperative, basically suggesting that this strength comes from an outside source. You can't have it on your own. You don't have it on your own. In fact, this is the foundation of the gospel. You were dead. There's nothing you could have done to save yourself. It was all him. And now that as we live out this Christian life, we live it out because of him. Like there's nothing that you can do. In fact, let's just, let's just continue on this train of thought for a little bit. Where you think you are strong is probably a liability in the Christian faith. Where you think you have it all together is probably going to be your greatest liability because, right, let's just be honest, where we're good is oftentimes where we're not dependent. Where we're dependent is where we struggle. And Paul, he flips this whole concept on his head. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, he starts talking about the thorn in his flesh. And he's praying to the Lord, like, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God's like, no, here's why. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul's like, I get it. Therefore, I will boast in my weakness because it's in my weakness when I am strong. 
So you've got to understand this, church. When you are strong, you're actually pretty weak and vulnerable because you're not depending upon the Lord. But where you are weak this morning, that's good news because that is an invitation for you to depend upon Jesus for his power to stand. Our struggle is we got to understand that we are completely weak. Some of us think we're like 55% weak. 70% weak. Now here's the other kicker. Be strong in the Lord and in the glory of his might. Like this, this is also plural. This is not individual. There's a church thing going on here. Like you, you can't stand on your own. Oh, that's another scheme of the devil, didn't you know, to get you isolated. To make you think that you should do life alone, that people don't need to know what's going on inside of me. In fact, if they knew, then they would think this or that about me. Listen, that's like the enemy just separating you from the body. You're easy pickings at that point. I think of the movie Gladiator. Any Gladiator fans? shameful. I love that movie. Absolutely love the movie. First time he's in arena, he's telling the guys, the slaves, the gladiators, like, if we stick together, <laughs> that's horrible, but if we stick together, you know, like, I don't, I don't I'm not quoting this right, but if we stick together, we're not going to lose, right? And so they come out, the barbarian horde and all this kind of stuff comes out, and there's a few people who are out there on their own, and guess what happens? They die. Stick together! Here's small group reason number 852 for you. You've got to do this together. This is where you learn to be dependent upon the Lord Jesus. The objective for a life in Christ is dependence. And that's why, that's why we're saying prayers from the front line. Because isn't the heart of prayer ultimately a position of dependence? If you pray to God to boast about your strength, you are full of yourself. That's the nicest thing I could say right there. We pray because we're like, Lord, I need you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from my enemy. Like, like that's the posture of prayer. So the objective of the Christian life is to learn over and over and over and over to be dependent upon him. When we embrace our weaknesses, that's when we are strong in the strength of his might. So put on the full armor. And when Paul says here to put on the full armor of God, what he's actually saying here, okay, he's not talking about individual parts, even though he's picking on individual parts like the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. He's using all these things as images for people to understand the bigger picture. This whole concept, when Paul says put on the whole armor of God, the idea that he's saying is like every aspect of your life Every aspect, every area of your life, every dream, every ambition, every relationship, every concern, it all needs to be covered with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to put on the whole armor of God, not parts of the armor. The whole armor. The flip side of that is equally true. If there's parts of your life that aren't covered with the gospel. In other words, like, I'm going to give the Lord this part of my life and this part of my life, but this part of my life, no. Well, that's where you're vulnerable. That's where you're going to be attacked, and that's where you're not going to stand. 
Like, uh, let me just say that again. Like, you, you, you think you might stand there. The reality is, if it's not covered there, if you're not dependent in the Lord there, you will not stand. You just won't. Because you're trying to do it in your own strength. So put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Can I, can I just say this? If I were to describe the armor of God with one word, do you know what word I would use? Come on, it's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. This language of the armor of God is Old Testament. I mean, you, you, I'm not going to go through it, but you can go to Isaiah chapter 11. You can go to Isaiah chapter 52. You can go to Isaiah chapter 59. You're going to see pieces of the armor of God right there talking about the Messiah. Jesus is the full armor of God. A buddy of mine said it this way. God's armor is Jesus. And the last time he wore it, he won it all. He took it all. He took on sin and death. He took on the schemes and the plans of the devil and overcame them. Listen to this. The brunt and the full force of evil and darkness was completely absorbed by Jesus. Isn't that the purpose of armor? To absorb the blows so you don't have to? And now as believers, we're told that our life is hid in Christ. And so put on the full armor of God. This is another way of saying this is the new creation. This is your identity. Your life is Christ. You can't just put pieces of it on. It's the whole thing. So put on the belt of truth. <laughs> Sorry. I told you, there's just things that are flying through my head, and I'm just thinking about the airport trip. So, yeah, might as well, because you're like, what are you going to talk about? It's probably not even that funny, but i got to share it, because i got to get off of my mind or else I'm not going to move forward. You ever, like, go, when you go through airport security, like, you ever get nervous by taking off your belt? I do, because one time they almost fell, <laughs> right? Like, like, think about, like, that image, the belt is so incredibly important. It goes around your core for a soldier. It's the thing that strapped and held everything together. And when they were ready to attack, they would like lift up you know, their, their tunic and they would tighten their belt so they can be nimble and run. It, like, it, just, it was the main aspect of everything. And when we start thinking about the belt of truth, we are automatically trained to start thinking about what? What is truth? But what if we just, instead of leaping to that, we started with how the Bible starts with truth and say, who is truth? It's Jesus. So just put on the belt of truth like it's Jesus. He's the center of, of everything. He holds everything together. He's your identity. But not only that, that belt of truth is God's word because God's word is Jesus, right? So we understand that. So a lot of us, I'm, I'm, just, I'm in a meddle a little bit here, okay? So hang with me. There, yeah, I'm going to go there. 
We need to ground our lives, not on our perspective of the Bible. We ground our lives on the Bible from God's perspective. We don't change this based upon the public opinion of culture, of fads, of new study and new technologies and all these things. Like, you don't change this based upon how you feel. I don't, I don't feel this. I don't agree with this. So everything else is good, but not this part. Listen, like, you can't do that. The belt of truth is primarily putting on Jesus, but everything that he gave us. Then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is his righteousness. It's his good. It's his right living that is now able, we're able to put that on because we aren't righteous on our own. There's nothing that we could ever do to get right with God or to prove God or to earn God's favor. We put on his righteousness. So listen, you got to put that on. And I'm telling you, that takes faith sometimes because I know when I fail, I want to show God that I'm good enough to earn his favor. No, it will never work. The gift of God is Jesus full on. The breastplate of righteousness, you put on his righteousness. He paid for it all. He eliminated your debts. He did it all for you so you can stand. Then you put on the shoes of peace. Now, this is kind of a, a unique piece of the armor. Like, we immediately just think of, like, sandals or whatever, you know, shoes. But these folks understood the Roman attire. And Roman shoes were actually more like cleats. Okay? They had studs and little points on, on the soles of their feet. So that way, if they were being attacked, they could you know, dig in and have traction. And not to sound gruesome, but because combat then was up front and personal, there was a lot of mud and blood on the ground. It was slippery, but they were able to stand. But it also allowed them to be quick and to move forward. And Paul's like saying, you've got to put yourself, your feet, be ready with the shoes of the gospel of peace. In other words, church, you've got to understand this. One of the best tactics we have to stand against the schemes of the devil is to proclaim the gospel. You want to push back the darkness and evil in this world? Folks, you've been equipped with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Go tell people about the gospel that there's a way to have peace with God and peace with each other. Jesus even says, like, when I go, it's my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. And this is the good news, that there's opportunity, a way to have peace with God. These shoes aren't just defensive, they're offensive. So we've got to move forward with the gospel. You put on, the, you, you, in all things, like you raise up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts and accusations and the lies that come out you, come at you. Like how foolish would it have been for a Roman soldier when people are launching arrows at them to start to try to be all ninja-like. It would be a disaster. You cannot outlogic the devil. Case in point. 
when thoughts start entering your head that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy, that you're a failure, that you're a screw-up, that God's done with you, that God doesn't love you, how easy is it to be rational and logical in that moment? Mm. It's almost impossible. And that's why he says, you put up the shield of faith. What does God say of me? What did Jesus do? You stand behind that shield, but the truths of God's word. God loves me. He's forgiven me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He has the best in mind for me. He will finish what he started in me. And small group reason 859 is when you understand how these shields work, they're meant to be interlocked with each other. So when we come together as a church, you got to understand this, we're, we're linked together, standing in the fence. And not only that, these shields back then, were a, like they were a weapon. You can move forward with them. So church, as we do this, we got, we got to move forward together. And you wear the helmet of salvation, which is the assurance of your salvation knowing that nothing can take you out, nothing can wound you. You don't have to worry about that. You're never going to lose it. And then Paul ends with this. And I'm going to unpack this more next week. Pray. In all things, pray. you you got to understand what Paul is trying to say here. It's not like this tack on, like how sometimes we do this. How many of us are victims of doing this? I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And some of us do actually pray, but there's a lot of us who just say that and don't. Or we go, oh my goodness, I forgot. Like, this wasn't a throwaway for Paul. This was Paul saying, listen, you can only put on the whole armor of God, get this, if you pray. You can only start to apply the gospel when you pray. And he says, pray at all times with all sorts of different prayers. You pray for the saints, your brothers and sisters. You pray. It's there where we get dependent. It's there where we're like, okay, Lord, what does your spirit want? And he starts to put things in our hearts to be praying for and to be leaning into. You pray. When I was in Israel, one of the, the spots that moved me this time was the Garden of, of Gethsemane because if you've ever been there, you can look right across the Kindred Valley and you can see the Gates of Mercy, which is where Jesus walked into in a triumphal entry, but it's also, that's where he's going to come again when he comes to, to, you know, take things. And as he's sitting there, he told his disciples to watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Jesus finds an olive tree or some stone there, and I'm just picturing this as I'm there, and he's praying. And he comes back and he finds his disciples sleeping. Couldn't you stay awake? I... Unfortunately, that is the nature of the church. 
There's many in the church, many of us who are just sleeping. And God's like, you've got to be awake. Your enemy is a hunter. He, he's prowling around like a lion. See, I knew cats were evil. Come on, that was a joke. Got a little heavy there. But he, he's just like, listen, you, you've got to be watching and praying. He's going to come. And then in that whole story, he says, see, the hour is at hand. And he can see the guards coming from the gates of mercy to come get him. And when those guards showed up, who stood in his place? Jesus. Who fled? The disciples. It is no mistake that they fled because they weren't praying. We cannot downplay prayer. Prayer is where we put on the armor. Prayer is not just preparation. Prayer is what you do all the time. Prayer is the ministry. We've got to understand that, church. We're on the front lines. So we need to be a praying church. And so when we talk about invite your one, and we talk about praying for that person, this is what we have in mind. We want to be fighting for people. We need to be advancing with the gospel of peace. And as we do that, we've got to make sure that we're covered with the, the fullness of Jesus so that way we can stand firm. We don't fight to gain victory. We fight from victory because he already disarmed our enemy. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your word, I thank you that. Thank you that you don't pull any punches, that you, you, you just speak the truth right into our hearts to encourage us because just like a good father, you want us to live this life the way it was meant to be lived. But at the same time, God, you know more than we do that the church is meant to be a force for good in this world that we are to be shining lights and being salt in this world. Father, I ask that you would do only what you could do in our hearts. For my brothers and sisters in this room this morning who are under fierce opposition right now, who are going through the ringer, who are feeling like in the, in the trenches of war, Father, I pray that they would understand that they are only strong when they emit and embrace their weakness. And that you've given us everything we need to stand strong in the Lord and not in ourselves. So Lord, would you make Austin Oaks a praying church? In Jesus' name.